Rationem, a novel by Whiskey Emerson. Seven. As the sun hangs low over the horizon of the Crooked River, I dip my hands down into the cool water, and the throbbing ache deep in my joints eases as I submerge them to wash the blood and dirt away. Both of my knuckles are split on multiple fingers, stained with a mixture of my blood along with Cal's, and I easily sense with trembling limbs that the pain will more than likely linger for a week or two, but I could give a damn. Three days prior, I'd learned Cal was the shadow's mole, and this afternoon, as he walked into our camp near Smith Rock, I paid him his dues. He, along with everyone else at Shadow Camp, didn't endeavor to stop me, and it wasn't pretty. I catch the blurred reflection of myself on the surface of the river and shudder. Blood isn't just on my hands and wrists. It's coating my neck, my shirt, and my right cheek. Therefore, with haste, I rinse my arms and face before tearing my shirt up and over my head to soak it. Blood does not come out easy, and the effort I put into wringing out my top is purely cathartic. In time, I'll have to make peace with what I'd done to Cal, what he'd done to me, and the fact that even though I will never forgive him, I will have to find a way to let it go. That day, however, is not today. The anger is rising from deep in my gut, compounded by the frustration of our current situation sucking me in down and deep like quicksand. What am I doing here? Why am I doing this? And when the fuck does it end? Is this what you thought I'd become? I ask from under my breath, choking up as my tired hands keep washing the shirt. I hate it. I hate this. I just want it to be over. Is this who you wanted me to be? I ask again. This awful monster of a human who fucking hurts people, kills people, without being held accountable? My volume escalates to a yell. Do you know this is what you're wandering home to, huh? This? I can't stop myself. I don't want you here. I don't want you to see me, and I don't want to fucking be this. Filled with rage, I spring to my feet and throw the shirt off into the brush, feeling the wrath rise in my chest. I just want it to be fucking over, do you hear me? I whip around, my attention now northward where the heathens ride from. Leave us alone. Go back to where you came from, you motherfuckers. We don't want you here. We don't fucking want you here. The shouts echo from one cliff to the next, and my gaze peers out into the abyss, scanning this land I love of mountains, desert, and juniper trees, longing for the days when it didn't hurt to simply be alive. My hands tremble. My chest heaves. My heart aches. All I want is for it to be done. But like Gibbs said, it's never going to be done. I'm never going to be done. I'm trapped here living out this nightmare, and there's nothing I can do to change it. Maybe I thought if he came home it would end, but deep down, I know it won't. He can't save me. Him being here won't save me or bring me back from this. And if I'm honest, I'm not sure anything can. You need to stop punishing yourself, I hear Megan say from behind me. You can't fix this. I know you want to, but none of us can. I turn around to face her, furious tears in my eyes, and shake my head. I just want it to stop. We're working on that, but you should be damn proud of who you are. I am horrified of who I am. My hand wipes away the water from my eyes, embarrassed at my fragility. I'm just so fucking tired, Megan. I'm tired of the army, I'm tired of the heathens, and I'm fucking tired of feeling run down. Every one of us is run down, she assures me, walking to my side. And we are tired as shit of this. That's not new. 
You have done what you need to and lasted through the end of the fucking world. So have a little empathy for yourself. Yeah. I take a breath to quell what is left of my exacerbation. I'll do my best. No promises. That makes her chuckle. Fine. I'll take it. Megan pulls a flask from her jean pocket, opens the cap, and takes a swig before handing it over to me. It's old whiskey, but I guarantee it'll do the trick. Taking her word, I put down a gulp and return the flask, the burn of the booze welcome while it trickles down to my stomach. We haven't really had a moment to ourselves, Megan mentions casually, motioning toward the spot by the river where I've been rinsing. Do you want to sit down for a minute? Yeah. All right. The two of us saunter over, maneuver two flat rocks side by side, and have a seat. Allowing Megan to take the floor of conversation, I don't say a word and wait to hear what it is she wants to discuss. Grace, you know that if I had known about Gibbs not telling you I was alive, or about Cal assaulting you when I took him in, or fuck, even if I could tell you that any one of the guys might still be alive, I would have. Of course I know that, Megan. I- Wait, no, she interrupts me sharply. I need to get this off my chest. I only did this because I didn't know what else to do. And if I knew we were being lied to, I would have acted sooner. This has only been about trying to keep the children hidden so we have, well, something to live for. And also, fuck Gibbs for doing this to us. I cannot believe the fucking audacity she has. Yeah, well, Katie called it, I interject quickly. Called what? The Gibbs was hiding something like this. I should have listened to her sooner. Megan scoffs. Katie knows people better than they know themselves. Yeah, I reply. That I am all too aware of. Picking up a flat stone, Megan skips it across the crooked river. I think I just wanted you to know that I'm sorry. Sorry this awful shit has happened to you, to us, and that I couldn't be there with you. That we couldn't have just been doing this together all along. It would have been easier to fucking get through this if we'd been side by side, and we both know it. It's true, but each of us had our role to uphold, I mollify. I appreciate your apology, Meg. However, it's completely ridiculous that you even apologize in the first place. You're here, and that's all I fucking care about. You have saved so many lives, and that is more important than the cat and mouse games we've been keeping in town. You still have people we can use, and we can finish this and add them to our crew. We just need to be smart, and we need to stick to whatever plan it is we piece together. You really think it'll work, she asks? Arming ourselves and taking them on? So much is left purely up to chance. I think the better question is, do we have another option? Again, Megan reaches for her flask and hands it over to me. It appears to be the only option with the possibility of a future. She waits for me to take a swig. You okay after nearly beating Cal to death? Well, I'm better than I was. Law of Weregild. Puzzled, she stares at me. What the fuck is Weregild? This makes me smile. It's an old Icelandic law instilled in their elegies. Essentially, it's blood money, or payment when a crime has been committed against another, kind of like an eye for an eye, but without the whole world going blind. Normally, it's financial compensation, however, due to the fact that money is not a staple of society these days, I figured a significantly, significantly awful beating would do the trick. Megan bursts into a laugh. <laughs> You're still a nerd, even in the apocalypse. It does make perfect sense to me, though. Do you want to know the damage done? I'm not sure I do, but I nod, handing the flask back. Probably for the best. Deviated septum? 
four cracked ribs, three dislocated fingers, a black eye, two teeth lost, severe bruising to his abdomen and chest, though nothing appears to have ruptured internally. Oh, and I'm pretty sure he's now sterile. Megan has a sip of whiskey. You could have done worse. It took all my restraint not to kill him. Maybe you should have. Maybe I should have. I, in turn, reach out and have another drink from the flask. I don't trust him, Megan. He only has my trust until he lies to me. How do you know he hasn't already? If that's the case, I'm sure we'll find out sooner rather than later. I nod again. Fair enough. You heard what he said, Megan declares. He isn't going back. And to be honest, we can't send him back like this. They'd know he'd found us. So I should have killed him. Again, time will tell. Now I let out a small, I let out a small sigh. Just promise me you'll watch your back around him. I already do. Good, I say, then pause, a sound catching my attention on the wind. Meg, do you hear that? Somewhere off in the distance, we can both hear voices and our eyes meet. Something is happening, Megan observes. We gotta get back. Take the lead, I'll trail you. My belt and my nine are over here. Megan sprints off, and once I slip my soaked shirt up and over my head and holster the nine around my waist, I dart the same direction as fast as my legs can carry me. There's no sound of gunfire, no screams or terrors of panic, and I wonder if perhaps someone got hurt or if there was another kind of emergency as I dash through the desert undergrowth. We're about a quarter of a mile from camp, and after another minute and a half on the trail ahead of me, I spot Megan run into the middle of the site only to be greeted by a handful of people, one holding the CB radio and frantically ushering her towards the microphone. Gibbs, it seems, is finally returning our radio calls. For the last three days, up until that very afternoon when I destroyed Cal's dignity, we'd been strategizing what move to make next while giving my body, particularly my shoulder, time to heal. In those 72 hours, the shadow camp demonstrated enormous hospitality, and I found myself constantly exhausted between exchanging intelligence with Megan and chasing children around playing hide-and-seek. The camp consists of a plethora of tents and craftily constructed shelters to house the children and their guards. Every four or five tents shares a cooking space with a cautiously constructed fire pit, Dutch oven, and assorted cooking supplies. Everyone additionally has their chores to uphold. A group of the older youngsters are responsible for purifying the water, another group for firewood, others for setting small traps a little way outside of town to try and capture small rodents for dinner. Every few days, there are repairs and maintenance performed on tents or the gathering pavilions, of which there are two, and in an effort to keep the village running efficiently uh, to wipe the desert away. Dust manages to make its way into every crevice out here, no matter how hard you try. In the early evenings, there's about an hour to discuss either one topic of history, tell a story, or teach a few math problems. Though for the last few nights, I'd been in camp and I'd been the main attraction, thus I took to recalling whatever stories I could pull from my memory bank on request. As soon as the sun goes down, the children are not allowed off the premises, and the adults in charge officially take over. Of the crew Megan has at her disposal, there are roughly three dozen able-bodied men and women, now including Chris, Vaughn, Tyler, Tristan, and Harrison, though they are the only ones of this group I recognize. It's a mixed bag from all over the place. A large handful from Prineville, two couples from Sun River, ten women from Bend I'd known only through acquaintances, three brothers and their wives from Madras, six women who escaped a heathen raid near Warm Springs, another young man who claims he made it down from Portland, and one woman in her late 50s, Naomi, who does not speak, yet tended to my shoulder as if she'd been a physician in another life. The Band of Shadows is kind of like a patchwork quilt. Together, 
They'd survived years of running from us, from the army, the heathens, even the brush biters. Neither Alexa nor Gibbs truly know where their camp is, and I feel beyond privileged to be here. Naomi, the woman who diligently healed me, visits each morning with some kind of lavender balm to apply to my injury and change the dressing. Because the bullet went straight through, the only thing to be done from a medical standpoint is to stop the bleeding. No one really knows, and no one really asked what was done. It was fruitless given her mute nature, and she'd been enormously successful. I hadn't had any hemorrhaging since, I, since I'd become conscious. When she finishes her daily check, Naomi gives me a curt nod, then rises to her feet and leaves my tent. It would only take minutes before Megan would burst in with breakfast of oatmeal, jerky, and some crisp ripe tomatoes. Once we've eaten, we meet with Chris, Tristan, and Vaughn to devise our plan, meanwhile sending messages to the brush biters and to Gibbs that I'm alive and well. Gibbs hadn't responded under CB in days, even though Alexa admitted she'd seen and told Gibbs the news. My other worry is, of course, regarding Annabelle, yet I know as long as Sierra and Katie are around, my pup is in good hands. To my dismay, I discovered that both Tyler and Harrison, who found their way home with Chris, Tristan, and Vaughn, and I had known well in our past lives, were in less than great physical and mental condition. Tyler had lost a sight in his left eye and walked with a minor limp after a traumatic fall on their journey back to Bend, whereas Harrison's injuries were deep and more cerebral. He'd been a sharpshooter for the army after he was taken, and this made him more valuable than the rest, causing whoever originally captured their platoon to spend the majority of their interrogations attempting to break him over the others. Though Harrison did speak, it wasn't often. In most days, he would simply march the perimeter of camp with his rifle over his shoulder, a constant watchdog for intruders. Tyler avoided me like I was infected with the plague, and though I did want to see one of my oldest friends, I let it ride, certain these things would run their course. Megan, conversely, was a born leader, and her role in the shadows was no different, especially with so much at stake. For three days, I told her everything I knew, everything I'd experienced, and divulged in great detail the lengths to which Katie, Gibbs, and I had been hunting heathens. Apparently, the brush biters held the greatest knowledge of just what in the fuck was occurring in the heathen camps, and it became clear the best thing to do was have a gathering of the tribes. Alexa had agreed, we just needed Gibbs to confirm, and Megan and I would travel into Bend together to deliberate how to take care of the incurring, the incurring army and heathen issues. As to that, I proposed a solution that seemed to be our best option. It wouldn't be easy. A few of us were more than likely not going to make it, but that wasn't a surprise to anyone. We would have to raid the army compound and arm ourselves as best we could. Then, within a matter of days, bait the heathens into downtown and cause an all-out war between them and the army. Logistically speaking, we had a lot of loose ends to tie up, though after three days of discourse, arguing, and waiting, weighing countless pros and cons, Megan and I had a general idea as to how we would make our plan work. We just needed to convince Gibbs, and at long last, Megan finally had her on the CB to sort out our next steps. Rather than join Megan, I gaze around and spot Harrison hiking about 20 yards from camp. I decide to make my way over to join him. Megan could more than handle herself with Gibbs, and I have a tiny inclination there are going to be some harsh words exchanged, which I have no interest in being present for. While Megan is stewing with anger, I, on the other hand, oddly understand why Gibbs didn't tell me that Megan was alive. She knew I would go out in an attempt to find her, and instead of resenting her for it, my respect for Gibbs oddly grew, aware that it could by no means have been easy for her to hide this from me. So I let it go. I let my feet take me where I was needed. 
Hey, Harrison, I greet him as I draw near, not wishing to spook him and get a hole in my chest to match the one in my shoulder. He doesn't look at me, but I detect the hint of a grin. I always loved making him smile. Hi, Gracie, he says. Can I walk with you? I brought my nine. We can patrol together. Without a response, Harrison merely shrugs and proceeds with the motion of his head for me to tag along. The trail curves behind the river, passing by where the old day-use area used to be, and I recall another memory of being here on a sunny June day with Jenna, her boyfriend and later husband Nate, and his best friend Ryan, both of whom died in the plague. As the two of the boys painted, I sat scribbling notes for a book premise, bouncing ideas off of Jenna from time to time, who merely sat, enjoying the sunshine and people watching as visitors trickled by, teasing us if we started to get too quiet or become too serious. A pang of longing hits my chest, missing her desperately, and I try to bury it down as I follow Harrison, with no intention other than being here if he needs a friend. We continue to walk as the sun sinks low, comfortable in our mutual silence, until Harrison finally speaks aloud. Nothing I say is going to make this better. It isn't a question. It's a blatant observation. No, it won't, I agree, holding his continued forward pace. Quiet again for another few minutes. You aren't going to leave it, are you? I'll leave it until you're ready, Harrison. I'm your friend. I'm here for you. But I also like having a bit of a break from the commotion. He nods, not slowing his stride. You know what's crazy? I don't think they ever realized or accepted that we didn't know anything. Here we go. Perhaps because failure wasn't an option for them, just like the draft wasn't an option for you, I observe, almost slipping on a loose stone. Perhaps not. Abruptly, Harrison halts and rotates around to face me. The last time we saw each other, he was a 25-year-old with dreams of what the future might bring. Conversely, this man staring back at me appears older than I am. The pair of us stand roughly about the same height, yet Harrison's curly golden hair is now half gray, with a substantial amount of scruff on his chin and deep lines around his hazel eyes and on his forehead. The boyish softness has long disappeared, and instead, his mien is haunted by the virulence of his tormentors. I can feel the resentment pulsing through his body, even from a good eight feet away. I'm sorry if that means anything, I tell him delicately. Contrary to my hopes, this only seems to upset him. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm sorry for what happened to you, not sorry for you. Each of us has had to deal with the worst of humanity, myself included, but you are no exception to that. Yeah, well, you have your scars and I have mine. Scars, I ask. Tearing his shirt up over his head, Harrison whips around and shows me his back, and I gasp at how horribly mutilated his skin is. From the top of his shoulders to his hip bones, he'd been lashed, cut, burned, and fuck if I knew what else. There were also hours of waterboarding, he reveals. Days of withholding food, water, clothing, zero comforts whatsoever. Harrison pulls his shirt on again and retrieves his rifle bitterly. Another day in paradise. You see what that was, don't you? I reply. What what was? They thought that you were the weakest link in the chain but it was the opposite. You were the strongest. I take a few steps closer. Harrison, if it had been anyone else, even Chris, they would have broken completely. You didn't. And you never have to be subjected to that ever again. It's clear he's uneasy with me being within an arm's reach, so I retreat a stride. You have a scar around your neck, he points out. What happened? Oh, yeah, 
The army hung me and Megan. Why? Because the night you boys were taken, we both killed soldiers trying to keep them from taking our guys. It didn't bode well. The women revolted, barely got us out of there after the lever had already been pulled. We should have died. Harrison's eyes locked with mine. How many did you kill? Enough to be executed. What else have they done? Just to me? Raped me, shot me, beaten me. The usual cocktail. That's pretty standard across the board with those of us left. Did, um, did Jenny make it? I'd forgotten about Jenny, and my heart sinks. She's gone, Harrison. How? I can't skip around the truth. She just decided she didn't want to be here anymore. The two of us don't say a word, only stand awkwardly for a minute or so. Should we get back to camp for dinner, I ask? Yeah, he says. I take lead with Harrison behind me. He talked about you all the time, Harrison blurts out a short time later. He just wanted to get home, to get back here and find you. He knew you'd be alive. He knew you'd be fighting. My stomach is in knots, though I continue on. He did. Yeah, he did. Harrison skips up closer. And he's... He's different now, just like you are, just like we all are. Different in what capacity? We take a brief pause with camp just a short way ahead down the trail. This world, it's changed all of us, he replies. I know I didn't want to be this and that you don't want to be you either. I can't argue, so I revert topics. Harrison, what did they do to him? The same as you? I mean, the same that they did to every one of us. They turned us all inside out. And sometimes when you reverse that and put the outside in, it's not quite the same as it was before. He throws me a disturbed glance. We didn't survive captivity by luck, Gracie. We survived by sheer force of will. And just like you've evolved, so have we. And in some ways, he breathes, meditating on a statement. In some ways, not for the better. Harrison points toward my nine. Keep that thing on you no matter what. Heathens are everywhere, and while some dumb shit like Cal or another soldier in the army might hesitate, they won't. I will. Harrison stares at me for a second, and without warning, throws his arms around me and into a hug, pulling me in tight. I'm sorry I'm an asshole, he mutters as I squeeze him, but I'm so happy you're alive. Beyond overwhelmed, I just hold on to him. Me too, Harrison, and you aren't an asshole, don't say that. I don't believe you, he says, letting me go, but I appreciate it. Brushing ahead, Harrison strolls past me, and after a moment of recovery, I travel in his wake, though my gaze shifts rapidly from the hills on the horizon behind Smith Rock to Megan, who is standing a few paces ahead waiting for me, her expression dismayed. Harrison walks by her, and the two nod at each other before her attention returns to me. We have a fucking problem, she tells me, and it's why Gibbs hasn't been near her CB the last few days. A pang of dread hits. What is it? She kicks dust with the toe of her red wing boot. The fucking army has Claire and Jess. Dread becomes fear in the blink of an eye. What do you mean they have them? The two of them were out checking on the Marshall family because they hadn't seen them in a few weeks, and when they showed up, the family was dead, murdered, all their belongings taken, and in a matter of seconds, they were ambushed by the army and charged on the spot with murder. I couldn't believe what Megan was saying. With murder. 
Gibbs has been trying to negotiate to no avail. They claim they were caught red-handed stealing goods, too. Do you think the army did it? Of course I fucking do, she concurs firmly. I think it's a sign they're running low on supplies, but that makes them even more dangerous. Fuck, we're going to have to rethink our plan, I remark thwarted. But we'll get to that later. Does Gibbs know what the hell the army's going to do? Unfortunately, yes, Megan sighs. They're going to be hanged tomorrow at 10. And Gibbs' decision? She wanted to ask you first. I give the microphone of Megan's CB radio a few clicks once we're inside her tent. Gardenia is on the line. Geranium, do you copy? Over. It's clear Gibbs is expecting me. Gardenia, it's Geranium. I can't tell you how relieved I am to hear your voice. We, we thought the worst. Let's do that later, Geranium. I've just gotten word about Candy Tuft and Jacob's Ladder. What in the fuck happened? Details will take too much time. Retaliation is something we don't have the firepower for as of yet. No, of course we absolutely don't. There's no possible way to reclaim them without losing all the flowers at once. I have a precipitous flash of an idea. Geranium, does our whole garden know what's happening? Word is spreading fast. There is a lot of anger. It's almost as bad as when they snatched the men up. What are the odds we could overrun that shit? Numbers. Think numbers. If there are enough of us, we could overwhelm them. Have it backfire. They want to show? Well, fuck them. Let's be there to stop it. Gibbs thinks for a moment. The probability of us saving both flowers is small, but if we could get one of them from the weeds... Get the buzz out as fast as you can. We'll meet at the hideaway at 9 tomorrow and walk to the gallows. And geranium? Yeah, gardenia. Tell the rest, of, tell the rest to come fully armed with everything. Got it? I can do that. Gardenia, what is it? I'm sorry. An apology. We all do what we need to, geranium. Just keep an eye on my pup, all right? She's snuggling in my lap as we speak. Gardenia, over and out. Megan smirks at me while I hang up the microphone. Probably better you didn't get too pissed at her. I tore her a new asshole. She deserved it. She shouldn't have lied, I declare. But I do know why she did it, and I can't blame her. In the meantime, you and I have a shit ton of work to do in a very short period of time. Her eyes narrow studying me. I can see those wheels turning. What do you got? With the army distracted by the hanging and the crowd... It would be the perfect opportunity for us to raid the compound. The women of Bend are so tired of being held prisoner, and this is just the spark to start a revolution that could shift the power dynamic completely. It could give us the perfect cover. Or get us killed. Yep, or that. Talk me through this, Megan says. Okay, I breathe, letting the insanity flow. If we get a decent number of residents, along with our girls, to be there in protest of the hanging, the army will be consumed with crowd control, especially if they revolt. What's to stop them from shooting everyone? Megan asks. They need us. We are not only the people who grow and hunt the majority of food in town, but we are also their buffer between them and the heathens. If we are gone, no more spoils, and instead they just have to head, go head-to-head with the demons. Fair point. Then what? You, me, and Katie, and the boys, are breaking into the compound, loading up a few Humvees with as much artillery as we can, and getting the fuck out of there. Which of the boys? Megan asks. The four that can. Harrison, Tyler, Vaughn, Chris, but we're bringing Tristan too, in case we need backup. We can't take everyone. Who's going to guard the children? You've got 30 other adults to do that, Meg. Hey, I catch your focus. We are not going to let a fucking thing happen to those children. We have to do this for them and for us so we can live again. You have Chris home. 
There are enough of us if we stand together to take our town back, but only if we do it together. We have to fucking try. Even though she is hesitant, Megan realizes I'm right. So we need to do a full count on armament stat. Yeah, before we lose the rest of daylight. Cal is going to go through the precise layout of the compound with us, too, Megan adds. Exactly my train of thinking. Where do we go when we have what we need? Gibbs's, I tell her. The army has yet to find it. We'll coordinate with them and the brushbiters and have them meet us there to confer once the day is done. I shake my head. Still. Still? Megan asks. It's insanity. She grins. I like insanity. If we have a shot to take down the army, I say we take it. Bomb the barracks, the mess hall, all of it, and kill anyone who tries to stop us. I like the sound of that, comes Chris's voice from the open flap of the tent. You heard all of it, didn't you, eavesdropper, Megan teases, smiling while simultaneously rolling her eyes. Chris isn't phased. I'll get the guys, and we can do a full count right now. But you should take the time with Cal soon, Gracie, just in case his consciousness isn't completely reliable after that thrashing. Naomi just finished tending to his wounds. A tinge of irascibility hits my spine. This means I actually have to speak to Cal. It does, Chris concurs. But we'll have a far better chance of success if you get his input before we storm the army compound. He knows the ins, the outs, guard shifts, all of it. That information could keep us alive. Especially since we will only have a limited amount of time, Megan adds. The faster and more efficiently we operate, the better. Not to mention you you literally almost beat the life out of him. I feel like you have the upper hand here, Gracie. What we haven't accounted for is what the army has changed in his absence, I bring up. It's not like they won't notice he's gone. There's no such thing as leave for them anymore. Megan gives me a look. Quit stalling and go figure this shit out. Fuck. All right, I'm going. I leave the two of them in their tent and step out into the amber colors of the setting desert sun, my gaze moving directly over to Cal's tent on the edge of camp. Take what he says with a grain of salt, his voice says in my head. I am aware he's a liar, I reply aloud. A liar who will do anything to stay alive, which makes him all the more dangerous. Duly noted. With a light step, my feet steer me to the tent flap as sound fades into a strangely muted form of white noise. I am aware of what I need to ask, and conversely, my body is also aware we are marching toward a predator who has previously harmed me. There's no distress, instead the sensation of disgust like swallowing something down your body doesn't want to consume. An overwhelmingly unpleasant taste comes into my mouth, and for a few seconds I'm hit with nausea, the tent only inches from my fingertips. Then I hear Cal's voice. Is someone there? He asks pitifully, his tenor raspy. You can do this, he says in my head. Can I? Yes, you can. Revulsion. Cal, it's Grace. He doesn't respond, and I let out a sigh. I'm not going to hit you again. I need to speak with you about the compound. An unwritten code at the camp is you are not allowed to enter a tent unless you request access and are given permission. This provides privacy, security, and for the adults, boundaries with the children when needed, precisely like the front door of a house. My attempts to argue with Megan over this were in vain, and I promised not to violate the agreement. Even though it remains quiet, I wait and eventually my persistence pays off. What about the compound? Cal questions. Well, I need to know everything you know. Why? Can I just fucking come inside? 
Not unless you tell me why. <sighs> because we're going to rate it. Another lull. Then I hear the slow sing of the zipper being drawn. I spot Cal's shaking hand pulling the tent flap aside, and upon witnessing the havoc I wreaked on his body, bandaged, bleeding, and battered, I instinctively kneel down to help. Scared I am about to strike, he lunges away from me, but once he sees I am only aiding in his effort, his panic eases, and Cal strains to sit himself upright on top of his cot. Sorry, I'm jumpy, he mutters, his figure taking a relatively defenseless, defensive position. I can only stare at Cal, and unable to truly believe I did this to another living, breathing human being. One who, granted, had violated me, and then on the contrary, one who had also saved my life, which, according to Megan, are not mutually exclusive. I apologize for making you jumpy. However, I do not apologize for what I did, I tell him definitively. No matter what the circumstances are now, you betrayed me on an unbelievably deep level in the past. However, you have in turn saved me from being murdered, and I'm having a bit of a challenging time wrapping my head around the conundrum that is your existence in my world. Either way, I inhale big and exhale, calming my nerves before I express what comes next. Either way, that's that. That's that, Cal repeats, shaking his head. No, I can't accept that. Initially, I receive his words as malicious, yet I rapidly discern that is a mistake as his countenance shifts from wary to remorseful. I don't ever want to hurt you again. What I did was fucking terrible, but I was different. After getting away from the heathens and being given another chance, I want to make it right, and I'm so sorry for the... All right, that's enough of that shit, I interject, not wanting to stroll down memory lane. I don't give a damn. It's done. I just thought you should know, Cal clears his throat. I don't need to know. I don't want to know. I just need to talk about the compound. Okay, he swallows. So what about the compound do you need to know? Honestly, everything, I insist. They're planning to hang two of ours tomorrow. We're showing up in droves to protest, but while they fight the execution, Megan, myself, and some of the others are going to get what we need from the army to survive and hopefully kill off the fucking heathens. And the army. Yeah, Cal, and the army. I'll tell you everything you need to know on one condition. What's that? His face is serious. I'm coming with you. <laughs> no fucking way. It's too big of a risk, I decline firmly. I don't give a shit. You'll need me. And what happens if you try to mutiny and go back? Go back? To what? They'll just throw another noose over my head and hang me with their others if I show up. It's not the army, Grace. They're deserters. All of them. And so what does that make you, Cal? I ask. To be determined, I suppose, but I can't prove loyalty to you if you don't give me a chance. He's lying. I know. Keep playing the game. Just know he's going to betray you and try to kill you. He's trying to find a way back in. Before you give me schematics for the buildings, I want to know what kind of men we're dealing with here. I can feel my shoulders tense, my jaw clench, finally about to receive answers I've been searching for. Cal points to a backpack to my right, across from him. There's a, uh, a flask of your moonshine in there. I think we've earned a few sips. I want to hate him. I want to kill him. But another part of me senses his gambit requires my guard to soften. Megan trusts him for now because he has yet to lie to her or deceive her. And with that, I can't argue. Cal has saved my life, but he's also been a facilitator of destruction. 
He's weighing both sides in an attempt to latch his wagon to the winning caravan, and he's bidding me to fall for it. And though I am a terrible liar, I am, conversely, very good at playing Machiavelli. Reaching over to his pack, I pull a sterling silver flask from the front pocket, take a sip, then hand it over to him, and he does the same. Cal passes it to me in return and locks eyes with mine. They're the last of what was once called the Scarlet Company. Roughly 85 to 90 of us left, last I checked. Three different platoons dissolved into one, under the command of a real bastard of a human named Captain Masser, I finished. Son of a bitch. Yeah, Cal says. He's the one who... Who... Who put the fucking noose around my neck, I reply. Yeah, you and Megan's necks. Masser convinced what was once five platoons to to desert with him during the battles in the Rockies. Winter was on approach and we were losing. Bad. Food was in short supply and hunger was becoming a problem. There was one final campaign that cut our numbers in half and Masser didn't need to persuade any to follow him. The majority, majority were forced into the army like your own men. And we just wanted to get away from it. We were in western Wyoming. All we had to do was get across Idaho and into Oregon, and it was over. But why bend? Cal gestures for the flask, and I oblige. Masser apparently loved it here when he was young. Swore it would be untouched. Cal has a gulp. He was right. So you got here and what? Posted up? I press. He said to pretend we'd been stationed here. By the time the war was over, no one would know if we were or weren't. And we just did what he said. Fucking Christ. How did you find Megan? A combination of events, really. Heathens killed off an entire patrol of ours, and a little over six months ago, a handful of us were captured by them. My jaw drops. You escaped? I wish I was that stealthy. No, it's... It's worse. They had us all hogtied in the back of a truck bed, and the hatch fell loose. We hit a turn. The guy next to me used all the force he had to push me out, and out I fell. When I hit the ground, one of the ropes snapped, and I was sure they'd immediately come back for me. They didn't. He saved my life and consequently went to die himself. I have another sip of moonshine. Survivor's survivor's guilt is hard to live down these days. Especially with heathens, he appends. So what did you do? We were gunning up what used to be uh, Highway 97. Off in the distance, I saw Smith Rock, and I just started walking to it. My intention was to get as high as I possibly could and end my misery. Well, this is a turn. You were going to kill yourself. In an illogical world, it seemed like the only logical thing to do, he admits, a morose smile forming. Instead, Megan found me and gave me a different purpose. Which was, I ask? To keep her informed of army movements and concerns, to fill her on, in on things Gibbs would occasionally not tell her, and to keep an eye on you. Right. The light in the tent is starting to fade, and I realize it's time to move on. There are about a thousand questions I want to ask, Cal, but for now, I need compound details. Then we'll just figure out how in the hell we'll make this work. Make what work? Cal asks pensively. I take a final swig from the flask. Surviving. Now talk me through patrols. 